welcome to Interesting Things, the official podcast for RichieSoriselli.com, where we discuss interesting things. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing finance. We have a very special guest, Mr. Bo Pearson, financial wizard, a man who at 33 years old has set himself up so that he could just walk away from it all and live comfortably for the rest of his life. So sit back, get comfortable, grab yourself some snacks and a drink, and hopefully gain some valuable insight into your personal finances. Thanks for joining me tonight. You're welcome. It's good to have you. Thank you. Um, Glad to be here. So, Bo Pearson, financial guru, uh, lover <laughs> of helping others. That's right. <laughs> here I am. Teacher extraordinaire. You got me. <laughs> um, so, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Bo. How did you get into finance to begin with? Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, about... Ten years ago, I guess, nine years ago, I, I just started to have a lot of time on my hands, or I started to really read about the subject, and um, I really didn't have any of the the holdups that a lot of people have in terms of student loans or kids or um, any other thing that would really kind of slow me down. So I had a, you know, kind of a huge opportunity, so I kind of wanted to capitalize on it, so I started doing a lot of reading, I started doing a lot of thinking, planning. And I kind of just started to put the pieces and the building blocks together over time. So it really just evolved out of kind of opportunity and kind of recognizing. And plus, we were in a financial crisis where, you know, asset prices were cheap and everything. So I was really able to kind of, you know, come alive in a time where there's a lot of opportunity around. So I just kind of started to learn about it and want to really just capitalize on the environment that I was in. So, Well, I think it's safe to say you've capitalized pretty well. Uh, you're doing pretty good for yourself. If anybody listening hasn't read the previous story, your three main sources of income are your day-to-day job as a nuclear security officer. Uh, you manage two rental properties. Right, two. Yeah. And you're also very deeply into the whole investing scene, correct? Right, yep. And uh, where would you say the majority of your net worth, out of those three, what's the biggest contributor to your net worth? Well, definitely real estate, um, just because not necessarily when I originally made the original investments, but because of the appreciation of the properties over time, um, you know, that has overtaken my investment portfolio. And historically, real estate's always been a smart way to invest your money, right? Absolutely. One of the best ways. Right. What about your other investments? Like, uh, how do you, do you play the stock market? Are you a day trader? Do you set it and forget it? Yeah, I'm a buy. That's a good question, actually. Really, I'm a I'm a buy and hold investor. A lot of people, uh, I think, get that confused. Um, there's a big difference between somebody that that is a long term investor in stocks and somebody that's trading stocks. I do not trade stocks. Uh, I'm not in and out of securities, you know, on a day to day basis or anything of the sort. I'm very much a be very patient, take a very very long term approach. Some of the stocks I've held, you know, for five or six years at a time. Um, so I kind of look for situations where I understand simple, obvious situations in terms of stocks. Um, they're a little bit undervalued, and I kind of buy them and just hold them. Is there anything specific you look for? Like you, you say, you know, you, you notice a stock that's undervalued. What's a key indicator that like, hey, this is probably something good to buy into? Something that has a durable competitive advantage. 
Um, something that I understand, an easy, simple business that spits off a lot of free cash flow and something that's predictable. Um, I don't want a business where I don't think I can look out five to 10 years and you know, take a look at that earning power and not have full confidence with the durable competitive advantage that that business has that those earning that earning power is going to be there in the future. So that's really what it comes down to with stocks is being able to look at that earning power in the future and be confident in it and then kind of discounting that those future cash flows back to present value and figuring out what the intrinsic value of the business is. Do you ever still get a little bit itchy when you see something start to go down a little bit? Do you get that little twitch? You get a little scared or are you like, nah, old hat, I know this game? Yeah, as I've gotten better and as I've learned and grown and um, I've learned to become more patient, patient, not really get too rattled by it, I guess you would say. I really don't buy a lot of stocks, if I'm honest. I really just sit and kind of think and read and be patient. When I see an opportunity, I want something that's plainly obvious is what I'm looking for, something that kind of jumps off the page of me. And it's rare that you find those situations. So I do a lot more reading and just kind of the natural curiosity of the whole thing, really. So just a lot of reading, you know, the Wall Street Journal, that type of thing, and reading books. And, you know, when I see situations that I understand that I'm confident in, then the numbers kind of jump off the page of me, I'll do something about it. But other than that, mostly it's just 99% reading. And in the past, you said you kind of look at it as a game, right? Yeah, it is a game. I mean, it's the game to find the undervalued security. I mean, and it's it's like a treasure hunt, I guess. So yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, treasure hunt, I like that. Um, so you mentioned a while back, that your net worth is in the neighborhood of $675,000 and you're looking at hitting your first million in the two to three year range. Is that still pretty accurate? Yeah, um, I actually want to clarify that a little bit. Um, when, we were, when we were speaking before, I think I misspoke. Um, the range is about, you know, 720 to 800,000 in that range. I mean, it's tough to say with real estate prices, you know, what something would actually sell for, but, you know, based on comps and and, uh, you know, obviously stock values are e easy to value um, because you just go on recorded price. But I would say a range between seven twenty and 800000 it would be more accurate. And just to refresh people's memory, your net worth is between seven hundred eight hundred thousand, and you're how old again? 33. 33 years old. Yeah. Just turned 33 years yep. old. You have more money at 33 years old than most people retire with. Yeah, um, I've, been, I've been busy. So at what age? is your goal for retirement? When are, you, when are you looking to pull that trigger? That's a really good question. So typically if you read financial gurus like Mr. Money Mustache or you know Sue, Sue Orman or Dave Ramsey, you know, typically they'll say something like 25 times or a more conservative 30 times your yearly spending. So to go further on that, you need to know what you spend every year and not just your bills, obviously, but everything, your food, your gas, your entertainment, that type of thing. So having a really deep understanding of your spending and then you kind of multiply that out 25 or a more conservative 30 times and that kind of gives you a relative ballpark of kind of where you need to be if you realistically wanted to start thinking about walking away from your job so um, when you do that calculation I'm probably already there like I could probably make it work if I really wanted to do that but you know when you start factoring in insurance and you know that type of thing I mean there's really no need for me to kind of walk away so um, I don't really necessarily have an age. It's more kind of just like, let's just keep building. Let's keep going. You know, if I have to take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, um, you know, there's no problem with that either. So it's kind of just like whatever you want to do at this point. Be opportunistic. See opportunities where you see them. But if not, have some fun and live life. It doesn't really matter at this point. So 
I got to be honest, I don't know if I can ever picture you taking your foot off the gas pedal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not in, the, not in the plan right now. So, you know, you just kind of put the pedal to the metal and, and just go for it, man. And focus and, and do what you got to do. And eventually, I just feel like the math will, you know, be so overwhelmingly positive that, you know, you kind of just have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. So Now, you actually touched on something uh, about knowing what you spend and where it all goes every year so you can plan it out for retirement. You get very micro level with your spending. I mean, most people don't even save and and record their receipts. Not only do you save and record your receipts, but you'll take like a grocery receipt and go item by item and separate it as far as, okay, this went to groceries, this went to other household necessities like cleaning. You you get really into the nitty gritty with that, right? Yeah, and you know, having you say that, it almost sounds like crazy, but I will say that after a while of doing it and over time, it becomes so habit that it's weird for me to even think about not doing it. So I understand to somebody listening, they might say, oh my God, I'm not going to live my life that way. But after time, it becomes second nature, it becomes habit, it becomes something like putting your key in the ignition and starting the car. You don't even really think about it. You just do it. I keep receipts. I add it all up. And it actually becomes, again, to you know, to kind of compare, it's like a game. I mean, you just, you know, I kind of think of my personal finances as a business and that's really the way I operate it. I mean, I, I keep track of a cash flow statement so I know how much cash I have coming in, how much cash I have going out. And then of course the idea is to take the excess cash that you're not using and to go buy things that make you more money. And then you keep tying that in and it's kind of like a systematic formula that just keeps kind of revolving over time. Right. It all adds up. It all adds up. It all adds up until you can reach that point of retirement. And uh, one of your big things that you like to touch on when people come to you for financial advice is just in general, people need to change the way they look at money. That's really where it starts, right? Because you got to, if you're building a house, you got to have a solid foundation. So, and you know, a lot of people like to start thinking about putting on the roof before they've got the the foundation laid. So you have to start with the basics and really the mindset, the framework um, needs to be there. The why, right? Why are you doing it? So, and one of the biggest things that I think people need to understand is that money in itself doesn't buy happiness. And what I mean by that is you can't buy more iPhones, more cars, more jewelry. None of that stuff is going to have a lasting effect on your happiness. What will have a lasting effect is the ability to spend more time with friends, family, have relationships that matter, spend time on charitable things that you care about or or are deeply involved in, Um, those types of things, memories. uh, Those are the types of things, in my opinion, that have a lasting effect on happiness. And money can buy that because it allows you to have more freedom. I mean, if you don't have to work, right, you have more freedom to be able to focus on those things that really truly matter. But in this society that we live in that's so highly, highly consumer driven, you know, we've all kind of been hardwired since birth to be just a very consumer driven society in the sense where we always feel we have to buy something, you know, to keep making us happy. So, and that just leads, you know, kind of like a death spiral where you just kind of get in this rat trap of, you know, constantly making money, spending it, making money, spending it, and you really never really go anywhere. You're kind of just running in place, if you will. So when I say mindset, I think that it needs to start from a place where you understand that the money is not going to buy you happiness in terms of materialistic things. It's going to buy you time, which will give you more freedom to spend money on or spend you know your time on the things that do matter. 
which are relationships and, 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 you know, community and friends and love and that type of thing. So, you know, let's just take an example of somebody with $500,000 of net assets. Now, let's say that that person, you know, has been working their whole life and, you know, you've seen them, you know, save a lot of money and they've always been kind of conscious about their, you know, spending and saving and this type of thing. And you might think, well, 500000 you know, that's not really that much wealth. I mean, I mean, it is, it's, 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 it's good, but it's not that much, you know, when you talk, talk about retirement and, that, and want to retire early and that type of thing. But the next logical question should really be, well, how much do they spend on a yearly basis, right? Because if that same person with 500000 of investable net assets, you know, only spends $2,000 a year, to give an extreme example, then that person's incredibly wealthy, right? Because they could obviously not work for the rest of their life and be very, very comfortable. So, you know, that's an interesting perspective, and I don't think a lot of people have it, right? So that same $500,000 of investable net assets, if you then compare it to somebody that spends eighty dollars or $100,000 a year, which might be more typical of a typical American lifestyle, then they're not very wealthy at all. So you have to think about those net assets as like time. How much time do you have invested? And that's really kind of a concept that I don't really hear spoken about too much. So when I think about my net worth, you know, my numbers might not be that impressive, but when you think about what I spend on a yearly basis, it is quite impressive. That's just really the way I think about it. So again, that's kind of the mindset of figuring out what truly makes us happy and then thinking about wealth as a unit of available time that you've bought yourself of freedom. So that's just kind of the way I approach it and think about it. That's a really unique and eye-opening look, looking at wealth instead of cash Looking gives, at it as a time. It gives purpose to it. It gives a meaning. Right. It gives the why. And that's the most important thing. If you don't have a strong why, nobody's going to want to sacrifice money today without that strong why. So you have to develop the why. The why is to buy time. You're putting money and investing money to give yourself freedom. The freedom is what's going to make you happy because it enables you to spend more time on the things that truly matter in life. Going to slave, you know, going to a job and working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week even is not what makes us happy. It's those moments, it's the memories that we make, it's the spending time with our kids, you know, developing friendships. Those are the things that make us happy. So investing that money enables you to really kind of build up that time that would ultimately give you the freedom. So, you know, when I think about wealth as a as a measurement tool, looking at the number of, oh, you have a million dollar net worth in and of itself is not really relevant. You have to then compare it to, well, how much do you spend? If you have a million dollar net worth, great, good for you. But if you spend 200 grand a year, you're not that rich at all. If you spend 15,000 a year, then you're quite wealthy. So you have to look at it in relation to spending. It's the only realistic way to do it. And that is why people come to you with financial questions all the time, though. (laughs) Gotta think outside the box. These things aren't so simple as, I hear people say that all the time, actually. It drives me nuts. They'll say something like, Oh, that person has, you know, they got this big house or they got, you know, I, you know, they don't have any kids, so I know they have money, but that's really kind of irrelevant. I mean, what, what, what it comes down to, how much, how much time have you bought yourself? And that's really what the most important thing. And that's, and that's basically a unit of how much investable assets do you have and how much do you spend on a yearly basis? And if you've got, you know, 40, 50 years of invested assets based on your spending, um, then you bought yourself a hell of a lot of time and a hell of a lot of freedom. And in my opinion, that's true happiness. So because at that point, you can do whatever the hell you feel like it. Well, speaking of time, I understand that you are starting to formulate plans to spend some of yours 
helping others in a more professional manner, as opposed to just having people come up to you and just helping them randomly. You're looking into starting a podcast or a YouTube channel or something. Uh, you're in the early stages, but you're looking to go in that direction, right? Right. Yeah. So I've, you know, I've always loved teaching. And actually, it's interesting. Back in February of this year, actually, I did a financial presentation for my neighbor, actually. She asked me to do it. She was having kind of a vision party where everybody kind of comes together and they, you know, pull magazine clippings and, and stuff in their light uh, uh, magazines and stuff. And it's all about, you know, putting together like a poster board of the things in your life that you really kind of want to work on. And one of the common themes that everybody put on their their vision boards, I guess, were like financial. So she asked me to come do like a financial presentation. And, you know, she asked me to do like 20 minutes and it ended up going like an hour. But it was, it lasted so long because it's something that I obviously care a lot about. And, um, you know, I love talking about it and I love teaching it most importantly. So it was a lot of fun. I think they got a lot out of it. Some of them followed up with me after to, um, you know, kind of further coach them along. So, yeah, it was cool. And I would love to teach more. I would love to do presentations, podcasts, blogs. It's just kind of putting it all together, coming up with great content that has value for people and, uh, you know, putting it in a medium that, you know, connects with people. So, Well, Bill, it's been very eye-opening talking to you. Always informative. Can't wait for that podcast or wherever it is to come about. In the meantime, if anybody wants to follow you, where can they find you online? I'm on the... Uh, the social medias, um, the Instagrams, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I'm pretty much on all of them. So, What's your Twitter handle? That's uh, Bo, B-E-A-U, 6303. All right. Bo, thank you very much. I appreciate it, man. Like I said, always a pleasure. Right on. Thank you. Wow, that was some really great insight there from Bo. He's got a really in-depth understanding of the ins and outs of personal finance, and he really enjoys sharing that knowledge with anyone who's interested. Please be sure to check him out online. His Twitter handle is at Bo6306. The song for this episode is titled My Train's Comin', performed by Unicorn Head. Thank you all for checking me out today. I appreciate each and every one of you. Remember, you can always find me online at Stories and Tech on Twitter and of course, RichieSorcelli.com.